Good morning, and welcome back to Midpoint, your mid-Florida, mid-week, mid-morning source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm your host, Shelley Reback, and I am oh so very grateful for your support last week during our WMNF Winter Fundraising Drive. In fact, we are still happy to receive your pledges if you didn't get an opportunity to uh, become a WMNF member or make a pledge last week. Fear not. You can still do that by going on the website at WMNF.org slash support, or you can pledge by phone by calling our, our uh, office line now, 813-238-8001. We've switched the phones over to uh, that office line now, so hopefully if you want to participate in the show, you can still call the studio line, uh, which I will give you that number in a few moments. Um, but... Uh, we are so grateful for your support of independent commercial free media and keeping us on the air 24-7. Uh, we are the best community asset in the Tampa Bay region, bar none, in my opinion. Uh, WMNF is in the midst of revamping its programming as it does every two years. So if you are so moved, you can still show your support for Midpoint by finding the Direct Your Contribution To drop-down menu on the donation page and choosing MPW for Midpoint Wednesday or tell your phone answerers uh, that you support Midpoint and let the WMNF powers that be know that you appreciate this show in particular and want to see it continue. We also have some great merchandise and WMNF swag available as thank you gifts that you can select with your donation. In fact, I just got a pledge right now, an anonymous pledge um, from Tampa uh, in the amount of $26.25. Somebody paid the processing fees. We always appreciate that too. So uh, thank you. And again, um, feel free to go ahead and make your late pledge right now. Um, okay, now for the main attraction. We are so fortunate to have with us today the woman with probably the most difficult or perhaps the easiest job in Florida right now, our Florida House Minority Party leader from right here in Hillsborough County. We have Representative Fentress Driscoll with us. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio today, Representative Driscoll. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. We are going to be talking with Fentress about many of the dangerous and often just banana Looney Tunes proposals uh, that the Florida legislature is proposing to take up in its next session. But I want to really focus on the extraordinary House Bill 999 uh, the DeSantis so-called education reforms bill that's been proposed by Representative Andrade. Uh, many of the more egregious provisions of this bill affect our public colleges and universities in Florida. So I have also invited Brian Connolly to join us. Brian is the vice president of the USF Faculty Senate and the chair of the USF History Department. So welcome to you, Brian Connolly, too. Thanks for having me on. Um, I want to start with you, uh, Representative Driscoll. You are now the leader of the minority political party in a legislature where the opposition is not just the majority, but is now a supermajority. So they can basically do and pass whatever laws they want with a supermajority, regardless of the opposition. So my first question is, 
I guess. How do you get up in the morning and go to work? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, but a very good question. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for having me. And um, it's so interesting. I was able to do a town hall in my district last night up in the, the Tampa Palms area and hear from constituents what issues are, are on their hearts and on their minds. And DeSantis' education policies certainly are on people's lips right now. Like we're, yeah. we're talking about these. There were um, professors who, was there, who were there and educators and hearing from them, I mean, it's it's tough. Like, I, I don't want to pretend like it's not tough for me either. There are days where I think, why do I do this? And we're so deeply in the minority. But the truth is, you know, then I think about, honestly, I think about like what my ancestors went through, right? Yeah. Like I think about how my grandmother, uh, my maternal grandmother helped clean white people's houses. I think about my grandfather who worked in the mines until he was bone tired, right? And his, his hands were so raw and the racism that he endured, the discrimination he endured. And I think, how dare I think about sitting down? I don't have that luxury. There's I, no time. I know what you mean. I entertained some friends from up north from a blue state last night over dinner, and we talked Florida politics because they were thinking of, you know, moving down here as snowbirds. And they say now, with everything that DeSantis and, and the legislature's doing, they are really considering not doing that because mm. the, of the politics. And they said, you know, how can you stay here? And I said... Look, I'm a privileged person, you know. I'm Jewish, but I'm white-facing. I have no kids in public school anymore. I have so much privilege. If I can't stay and fight back, you know, who who would, you know? Um, so I just, I, not to put too fine a point on it, but to me, it, you either now have the hardest job in the legislature or the easiest because you can't really be expected to do too much, to win too mm. much, um, you know, so... You know, there can't be a lot of disappointment when we can't get can't get too much done. I feel like things can't always get worse. So my job, it's it is a very tough job, but it is a wonderful job in the sense that because we are we find ourselves in the Democratic Party at such a low point in Florida, um, I, I feel like there's such strong upside. I also feel that there are more people who are with us than are not. And you look at the 2022 election results, particularly with the Florida House, right? Yes, yeah. we are in a super minority. That just means we drop below two thirds. It's cyclical. So what happens after a redistricting cycle or during a redistricting cycle is that there tends to be a bit of gerrymandering to, pay, to favor the party who's in power. So we just have new maps. They were gerrymandered, especially in Central and South Florida, to favor the Republican uh, majority. They have seats that they are holding now that they will not be able to hold in 2024. 2024 is a presidential election cycle. Turnout will be higher. So we know that there was gerrymandering. We know that we got outspent. I can compete two to one, three to one, even four to one. But when I'm getting outspent more than five to one, which is what was happening in our, our state house races, it's very difficult to compete. Ron DeSantis put $6 million or so into Florida state house races. I don't know that he's going to care to do that when he's running for mm. president. He's going to have his eyes yeah. focused on different things. Right. And then we have to make sure that Democrats show up, right? Anybody who aligns with our values, I shouldn't just say Democrats, anybody who aligns with the values of keeping every Floridian healthy, prosperous, and safe needs to get out and vote. There were 1.385 million people who voted in 16, 18, and 20 who stayed home. Yeah. It's not that DeSantis had such a big red wave victory. It's that people stayed home. Right. And if we disagree with him, we have to show up in 2024. We have to show up. Although, you know, you, 
Now Florida's Senator Blazin Goglia wants to completely put you out of a job and, and cancel the entire Democratic Party. Didn't he just make a proposal the other day to uh, completely cancel the Democratic Party and decertify them as a political party in Florida because they once supported slavery and it would be hypocritical for Democrats, according to Blazin Goglia, to support diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and critical race theory education, and at the same time be a party that once supported slavery. I mean, it's just, these can't be serious people. You know, somebody who proposes something like that, they're clowns, you know, Uh, but they're clowns with power. So, you know, I guess we need to talk about how they're going to use that power (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know that that particular uh, bill is going to go anywhere to completely decertify the Democratic Party, but it's out there. These are the kinds of things that they want to devote time to. Yeah, it won't go anywhere. It's unconstitutional. He knows yeah. it. He's using it for clickbait. Of course. I saw in his comments where he even put, like, come on, like, let's, you know, like, debate me on this. Yeah. You know, please retweet me on this. He just wants clickbait. No one should take that bill seriously. Everybody knows and understands the history, which is that at some point the parties did like a shift, right. a Southern strategy. Look it up if you're, you're interested. But uh, I would encourage people, try not to get uh, too drawn out about that because that's exactly what he wants, right? He wants you to he wants to distract from DeSantis's failed economic policies because believe me, every culture war has an economic price. Housing costs are through the roof. Property insurance is high. Florida has some of the highest car insurance rates in the nation. We have a teacher shortage. Our kids are falling behind. If I had a failed failed horrible record like that, maybe I'd try to use some smoke yeah, and mirrors there too. There you go. That's a good way to look at it. Thanks for that. Well, before we get to House Bill 999, which is the education bill, can we quickly talk about some of the other parade of horrible laws and bills and proposals that we hear are going to be coming out of this legislative session? And maybe you can tell us what we need to know about all of them. Um, So, you know, the first one, the first big one is guns, permitless carry. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems to be coming right up despite opposition from lots of law enforcement and, you know, just the horrible uh, history that we have had with um, mass shootings. People, uh, you know, are opposed to it, but yet the legislature wants to pass permitless carry. What, What can we do about that? That's right. And so, you know, to your point at the top of the show, right, there's the (laughs) obvious math of the vote count and there are not enough Democrats to stop this bill from happening and the Republicans tend to fall in line. So they're not going to vote against it. What we need is public pressure and, you know, public pressure. I'm a big believer that it works. Nobody can tell me that it doesn't work. That's a double negative. But what I'm trying to say is (laughs) I think about 2018 that predates me a little bit in the legislature, but it was uh, after the Parkland massacre. Right. And parents and students were upset and Floridians came from all across the state and they protested in the Capitol and they made their voices heard and it forced the legislature to pass bipartisan reforms, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act, Mm -hmm. to help keep our schools safer. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some good things that came out of that bill. Now what I've observed is the further away we get from that moment in time, The Republicans are emboldened and they're passing legislation that's not just conservative. It's actually extreme. It's not it's not conservative in the traditional sense. And I think this bill, we need to think of it. It's permitless carry. It really means untrained carry. Yeah. Now, there's no requirement for you to be trained to carry a concealed weapon. It does not keep our community safer. 
I think there are common sense gun laws that we could all agree on, like universal background checks, safe storage laws. These are things that polling shows that people agree on despite their party. That's where we need to be focused. But this permitless carry is dangerous. States that have passed it have shown an uptick in gun violence. Right. It is uh, tone deaf and insensitive, too, for them to be putting this legislation out right around the time of the fifth anniversary of the Parkland shooting. Of course, yeah. Well, I guess then your recommendation is to continue to speak out, to work with, uh, you know, activist organizations like maybe Moms Demand or some of the other organizations that are trying to fight uh, permitless carry and some of these other reckless uh, legislative proposals. Um, The other big one I want to talk about is the possibility of a six-week abortion ban. Mm. What what about that? Is that something we can expect to happen? I think that's certainly on the table. Yeah. Uh, you know, the governor has spoken out that he wants to further restrict abortion access. And something that I want the listeners to know, we're at a, a time in Florida politics unlike anything we've ever seen where the governor who's in the executive branch keeps invading the purview of the legislative branch. In Florida, there's no more separation of powers. And so what this governor wants, he gets. And he has said that he would sign a bill, uh, if uh, an abortion ban at, at six weeks. For those of you who may not know, last legislative session, the legislature passed a bill restricting access down to 15 weeks with no exception for rape, incest, or human trafficking, right. which are some of the most horrible and evil experiences that a woman could go through. So Florida is not a friend to women right now. No. No, so again, that's something that we can maybe expect to see in this next session. Yes. Oh, boy. Okay, Uh, another thing I wanted to run by you was what appears to be a preemption, uh, a bill to preempt all local environmental rules. Um, So I'm not sure how far that would go, but some of the things I wonder is, would that preclude local municipalities from making rules about, for example, no nitrogen fertilizer in the summer, you know, mm-hmm. because it runs into our water systems, our bay here locally, and uh, the high nitrogen causes, you know, a lot of animal death and fish death and red tide. And uh, maybe it would cover no lawn watering restrictions in a drought, local uh, lawn watering restrictions like we have here either in a drought or in the summer, you know, when we have so much rain. Um, Maybe no rejection of programs like we're facing in the city of Tampa, like the toilet to tap program that the city of Tampa uh, calls the pure program that is, you know, a huge public issue right now um, with a lot of Tampa citizens opposing it. um, But it seems to be pushed by the administration. Is this preemption of local environmental rules something that we're likely to see and would it cover those type of you know local regulations that were are in place now yeah so it, i think you could see a bill like this passing i mean i know it's valid you, you could see something like this passing because it would be in keeping with the legislature's movement towards more and more preemption of local governments 
And it's so ironic because the Republicans in the legislature are always saying they don't want to be told what to do by right. Washington, D.C., right. yet they're very content on telling local governments <laughs> what to do. It's a kind of cognitive dissonance to me. Um, but I think we've seen past restrictions on what cities can do, including with the tree ordinance. Yeah. Do you remember that? Where they're yeah, like, sure. you know, preempting what a local government could say about trees. I don't know why the state feels like it needs to get its hands down into the minutiae, but I think some of those examples that you cited certainly could be relevant. So that would be dangerous for our environment here locally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have an email here from the Tampa Sierra Club, who was proud to endorse you in your campaign and happy to fast track your endorsement in your last race and appreciate everything that you do to represent our area. So I just wanted to pass that on to you. Thank you. Thanks, Sierra Club. (laughs) So you're listening to WMNF's Midpoint uh, at 88.5 FM. And today we have Florida Florida House Minority Leader Fentress Driscoll with us. Uh, You can maybe join our conversation by calling 813-239-9663, but only if you have a very brief uh, question uh, for Fentress, because we have a lot to go through today. We had a lot to talk about. I have questions, and that's one of the privileges of hosting the show, is I get to have you answer my questions first. Um, Okay, another issue that's come up is uh, medical care for trans kids and, well, any transgender people. Uh, Is that a bill or is that just uh, strong-arming the Florida Board of Medicine or is it strong-arming the Florida Board of Medicine today and it will be legislated you know, tomorrow. Is that kind of where we're at with that? My friends who came from the blue state last night are both physicians and Mm -hmm. they are, one of them's on the board of regents of the American Medical Association and they're just appalled at what is happening to, you know, the medical community in Florida here. And this is one of the examples. Yeah. Gender dysphoria is a recognized medical uh, condition. And what you have are lawmakers who are not doctors, not medical professionals, and even if they were, I probably wouldn't trust them with the way that our state has been heading, but inserting themselves in and, and saying what doctors can and cannot do and what treatments they can and cannot provide. So there was a presentation given to the Health and Human Services Committee in the House. Um, what I've observed is that anytime there's a presentation, legislation usually soon follows. Mm. So I think we can expect a bill on that. And I think that, I mean, they're not really thinking it through in terms of gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care could also be caring for a young female student who has uh, her period, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, they're, they're trying to make trans kids the other, always trying to, to, to bully people who are already isolated or vulnerable. It's just a very dangerous time. It just so reminds me of that um, famous statement by Martin Niemöller. You know, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak up mm-hmm. because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade uh, unionists, and I did not speak up. And finally they come for me, and there was no one left to speak up for me. You know, it just seems like that playbook is what they're doing. You know, they're starting with this, you know, uh, treatment of trans kids, trans people, drag queens first they came for the drag queens you know uh, i mean it's frightening to think about where this could go in the future i know well can i share one one positive oh, thing with sure you please please do so some of you may have seen you may have seen too shelly that the florida high school athletic association was going to require female student athletes to report their periods to their schools 
right? And their menstrual cycles. And so right now they report it to their doctors, but it's optional and they were going to make it mandatory and they're going to have to share this information with the schools. What an invasion of privacy. Yes. We were also very concerned that this could be an attack on trans kids and trying to out them. And so um, my caucus and I sent a letter, all my state reps in my caucus signed on. We sent a letter to the Florida High School Athletic Association demanding that they reverse course, asking them questions as to why they were doing this. They called an emergency meeting within 48 hours and changed the policy so that female student athletes do not have to report this information to their schools. So that's one victory, not a legislative victory because we didn't have the numbers, but it certainly was a policy victory in protecting our kids, uh, their their right to privacy, and certainly protecting trans kids. Yeah, well, speaking of um, of a policy victory, it's interesting to me that another thing that we've seen out of the DeSantis playbook is his uh, his way of 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 getting these terrible policies in place, it seems like, is to take over the boards of some of these controlling organizations. You know, we we saw it with Disney, with the takeover of Reedy Creek. Now he's taken over that board and he's replaced the uh, people who serve on the board with cronies and people who donated to his campaign. Recently, the Tampa Bay Times did a story about him taking over the Pinellas Housing Authority, which nobody really paid attention to at the time, but it's all of a piece Mm -hmm. of what he, you know, taking over the Florida Board of Medicine to get uh, the Florida Board of Medicine to make this policy change where they will not, uh, you know, where they recommend no gender affirming medical care for trans kids or for kids with gender dysphoria, you know, things like that. This seems to be his playbook, you know, to take over a a board that governs and then to change policies through that new board. Um, You know, that's kind of a frightening thing, too, that is beyond the legislative consequences that we see. Um, Well, okay. The other thing I wanted to talk about is his uh, desire to have new legislation to revamp the defamation laws and to weaken protection for journalists. (laughs) Yes. What about that? This is a bizarre law. This is... This is the sort of thing that everybody should pay attention to because it's the type of thing that happens in dictatorships and authoritarian regimes. And people say that like it's a talking point, like, oh, he's a dictator. This is the proof in the pudding. This bill would require journalists to give up their anonymous sources. That is, having a free press is something that is so fundamental to us as Americans and the freedom of speech and having a free press is fundamental to our democracy, to our democratic republic. And you have Florida as a state under DeSantis basically trying to undo decades and decades of law with related, related to, to free speech. There's another provision in this bill that's very troubling to me, that if you are accused of harassment based on uh, race, gender, um, gender identity, it's defamation per se. Mm. That's, that's horrible. Oh my gosh. Right? Like yeah. we have, we have laws on the books to try to protect people, employees yeah. when they report harassment and discrimination. And this would basically say it's, it's their word against yours until you prove otherwise. It's yeah. just a horrible thing. And there would be $35,000 minimum statutory damages. Yeah. I don't even recognize Florida anymore. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, people cannot even enforce 
their claims, their legitimate claims mm-hmm. anymore. And it, it makes it um, extremely difficult, if not impossible, to, for regular people um, to make these claims. You know, it's, it's, it's a crazy law. It's bad. And I just, you know, I know we're going to have more to go through because I see your list over there. It's real long. It's a long list. But um, <laughs> just for the people listening, right, because I know we're covering a lot of different topics. And I just want you to know and understand this is part of their strategy. They're trying to overwhelm us with so many bad policies. It feels like a war of attrition. They want to wear us down. They want us to get weary. Listen to all of this, but keep a clear mind, keep a, keep a clear heart, because it's going to take concerted action to change the trajectory of our state, meaning that we cannot give up, we cannot give in. You have to find ways to hold all of these things <laughs> <laughs> at the same time um, so that we can push on for, for better electoral outcomes and try to take our state back in a more positive direction. I need, I need you on a regular basis for political therapy like that. Yeah, it's know? like therapy. Yeah, it's it like is. therapy because sometimes it does feel overwhelming, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in my role of trying to keep up with you know, all of these things that are happening and bring them out to the listeners. It just, you can see my list. It's so long. It's Mm -hmm, frightening, mm -hmm. you know, really. Um, So I'm going to need that on a regular basis, that kind of political therapy from you. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. Um, uh, Next on my list is tort reform. They want to pass laws to shield businesses and insurance companies from lawsuits, and they're specifically targeting attorney fee provisions, which would make it harder for regular people, yeah. you know, to get attorneys to take their cases and to hold tortfeasors accountable for negligence or bad conduct. I just want to point out that Florida Justice Association, the Association of of personal injury lawyers in Florida has been supporting Republicans for the last several election cycles, thinking that they're going to get on their good side. Look what it got them, right? This kind of bill. (laughs) You want to say anything about that? What I'll say about this bill is that it just goes too far. And the thing of it is, I just don't want the people to get lost in the conversation. It's, It's the people that matter. They're people who cannot afford a lawyer, and the way that Florida's laws currently are, are set up, it provides great access to justice. And if we pass this law, what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen to the mom, the single mom who gets injured in a car accident and the insurance company doesn't want to take care of her, right? Right? Like, what, what if this was my grandmother or, or your, your brother? Like, what, it's, it's our family members and our neighbors who are going to get caught up in this. And I just think that, yeah, this, this legislature just... It just goes too far. What we probably need to talk about are other reforms like bodily injury. Florida is one of the, the only states, I think, we might be the only one now that has this per, this no-fault mm-hmm. uh, system with respect to, to car insurance. So we probably need to look to reforms there. But that's just like this legislature to attack a problem from the complete, the complete wrong angle yeah. and try to sell people a bill of goods. Hey, this is good for you. Well, yeah, it sounds good until I get hurt and I need a lawyer and I can't afford one. Right. Right, exactly. All right, so moving into education now, which I know is really important to you. Your mother was an educator, right? Right. Yeah. So I know that's really important to you. So uh, we're going to start talking about education now. Okay. Um, first of all, we have an expansion of a bill that proposes to expand the Don't Say Gay uh, 
rules into the eighth grade. I guess Representative Adam Anderson from right here in Palm Harbor filed a bill just yesterday, I think, that would forbid public schools from using pronouns that align with a transgender student's gender identity. And his measure would also prohibit classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity for grades kindergarten through eighth grade instead of third grade as the original law mandates. And I know that, uh, you know, sex education, which is also highly restricted in Florida, generally comes in around seventh grade. So this would preclude any discussion of these issues in, you know, sexual health classes um, in seventh grade. Yeah, for the listeners at home who can't see, this is the portion of the program where I am actually lighting my hair on fire as <laughs> we talk about education because public education is the whole reason why I got into service in this way in the first place. I'm a product of Florida's public schools. Shelly told you my mom was a public school teacher. I have a, a, a sister who's a, an educator. And what's happening is just, it's just astonishing to me. When are we going to stop attacking our teachers when are we actually going to let parents decide what's best for their kids? You know, last year when the Don't Say Gay bill was introduced, it was far broader. And then because of public outcry, they narrowed it down to third grade. To as bad as it is now. Yes, to as, to as bad as it is now. And now they want to expand it. This, right. is, this is the playbook. This is how it works. People pay attention. Yeah. And we're going to need your public outcry on this again because that's effectively what they are are doing. And believe me, I've I've heard the stories about social workers in the school who if a kid comes to them and expresses like maybe they do express that they are gay, they come out to their counselor, they're afraid at home, they're afraid of their parents. The counselor can only talk to them once before they have to disclose it to their their parents mm. and putting that kid in a dangerous situation. This is just, it's just bad news. It's just terrible. It's terrible. So those of you who are represented by Adam Anderson in Palm Harbor, which is certainly part of our listening area, you know what to do. Call him. Yeah. Call him. Set Call up a him. meeting with, with the rep or his staff and let him know how you feel about this. Emails yeah. are great if that's all you have time for, but man, a, a call can take just a couple minutes and be so impactful and go such a long way. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the school boards. Um, <laughs> the Republican lawmakers now want to amend the state constitution to change school board races mm -hmm. from partisan to from nonpartisan to partisan. So candidates would then run as members of a party, um, although. Uh, they don't run as members of a party now. It's gotten to the point where pretty much if you pay attention to the races, you know who's a member of what party or who mm. aligns with the values of which party. Um, we have that now in the city council races, too, in the city of Tampa, which are nonpartisan. But uh, people have basically discussed their political affiliations, and it's part of their, you know, uh, campaign rhetoric. Um, we have Blake Casper, for example, who's running in South Tampa, who admits to being a you know uh, a strong Republican who donated over two hundred thousand dollars to Ron DeSantis, donated to Trump. Um, so I'm not sure how much a difference um, it would make to change school board races from nonpartisan to partisan, uh, except theoretically. You know, you want mm -hmm. school the school systems to be nonpartisan themselves, but I'm not sure as a practical manner how much difference it would make. 
I think it could make a big difference. Do you? Yeah, because what we're seeing is just this invasion of partisanship in, in so many institutions. I mean, you're right. People come to that office certainly with their lived experience, and that includes their political experience. But to make it so overtly political, I think it's just taking us further in that direction where temperatures are so inflamed and they're just so high. Mm. I mean, this is exactly what they wanted for the school board. Um, you think about all the, the fear that they stoked, saying that critical race theory was being taught in our schools when it wasn't. Keep in mind, Republicans have been in charge of the what the legislature and the governor's mansion combined since 1998. Yeah. So if it was being taught, who would have put it there? Right. Uh, uh, news alert, it wasn't the Democrats, okay? It would yeah. have been the Republicans. It's not allowed to be taught. They passed a, a, a bill to say that, that it cannot be taught, which to me is like hitting a dead roach over and over again with your <laughs> shoe. And they just like to stoke these fears. And what they want to do is encourage more of their people to come out and try to stack the school boards. That's what I'm right. concerned We're about with partisanship. Right, we already. Right. You and know, it, the Moms for Liberty candidates that took over the Manatee County School Board, for example, we've got... Moms for Liberty uh, school board members in Pinellas County. Um, we don't have that in Hillsborough County yet, but Dow DeSantis has announced that he's targeting specific school board members around the state for defeat in their next election. And locally, he's named, he's actually named Hillsborough County school board members Jessica Vaughn and Nadia Combs and Pinellas County school board members Laura Hine and Eileen Long. Basically, you know, doxing them and putting them in potential danger from his supporters which is awful yeah right i mean it just and, and especially our, i mean our, i'm not as familiar with our pernellis uh school board members but our hillsborough county school board members member vaughn um and, and, and member combs who do chair combs who do such a good job working so hard to fight for our kids we don't want these elections to move in a partisan way because I think it would just open the floodgates for more and more money in these races. School board races are not meant to be expensive races. They're meant to be people from the community who care about education, who want to give uh, of their service. And we need to keep that as, as clean as we possibly can um, and not let it become overtly political. He also wants to change the... Uh he wants to um, have them now have eight-year term limits for school board members, reducing it from what's now 12 years. I'm not sure what the angle is there. I know it's bad, but I can't figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you my theory on term limits because they sound really good in theory. Yeah. But now that I've served for a while, I see what happens in the legislature. We, we have eight-year terms in either the House or the Senate, like combined, you can serve eight years and you have to move on or take a cycle off. And what happens is um, it puts power in the hands of people who are not elected. So for the committee staffers who are the subject matter experts who mm. help write the bills, they have a lot of power. And if a committee staffer, again, who's not elected, doesn't like your bill, your bill's probably not going to move forward. It Interesting. Gives, well, it gives lobbyists a lot more influence mm. and power because they're a, like there is a permanent fixture and in institution. They, if there's something I do that they don't like, they can just wait me out. Yeah. So term limits are not always good. I don't want to say that they're always bad, but... What I see what they're trying to do um, with the school board and make it like the legislature, you don't have, eight years is not enough for you truly to develop the expertise. I consider myself a, 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 a woman of reasonable intelligence and I can read and I can do those things. And there's the Florida Education Finance Program. It's like this formula for, for how our schools get funded. One of the most complex things I've ever looked at. I've been in the legislature for five years. I still don't fully understand it. 
So, you know, you want somebody on that school board who has good experience. 12 years is probably a reasonable time to learn your job and, and then to also have time to do it well. Mm. Eight years might be a little too short. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my personal feeling about term limits is I'm against them legislatively because we already have term limits. They're called elections. You That's know? a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> you know? The vote I mean, is the ultimate term the limit. The vote is the term limit. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Midpoint on WMNF Radio 88.5 with Florida House Minority Leader Fentress Driscoll. Uh, you can join our conversation maybe by calling 813-239-9663. You can email me to dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. I'm, I'm not taking as many questions as I usually do because we have so much to talk to uh, Leader Driscoll about um, given that the legislative session is about to start again. What, in a week is it? Oh, um, no. It no? starts next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, so less than six days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> we have a lot to cover before then. Um Okay, so here's another big one for you, education-oriented, big issue, and that is school vouchers. The Republican lawmakers want to make every Florida student eligible for taxpayer-funded school vouchers that could be used for private school tuition and other expenses. Um, The proposal would uh, remove any income requirements for vouchers and also make vouchers available to homeschooled students. Mm -hmm. So tell us, is this proposal a monumentally stupid and expensive proposal that portends the end of free, high-quality public education in Florida? Because that's what it sounds like to me. Yes and yes. Mm. (laughs) I'm very concerned about this. And it's a move towards what they have wanted to do for quite some time since the days of Jeb Bush, which is to privatize our public school system. And Florida's constitution requires that we have a uniform, high-quality system of public schools. Public school is the great equalizer. Yeah. Come on. It gives our kids a, a good start in life. And what they're doing with these vouchers basically is, I think, illegal for mm-hmm. them to take taxpayer dollars and to use them towards uh, public taxpayer dollars and to use them towards funding um, Uh, private schools. There are also all sorts of considerations that these private schools don't have to take every kid, whereas public schools do. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of inequities around whether teachers have to be certified or not. Um, And it just, once again, is putting our our public schools behind the the starting line um, so far far back as as opposed to our private schools. And I just wanted to share this with you too, um, Shelley. So the the financial analysis on it, the fiscal analysis, they're estimating a total, the state estimates a total of $209.6 million in costs. But keep in mind that Arizona recently passed a similar law and they also had a fairly low cost fi- financial estimate. The Education Law Center and the Florida Policy Institute estimate an additional cost of $2 billion in the 2023 through 2024 school year. That's just next year, an additional $2 billion. If we see increases as high as what happened in Arizona, because these programs tend to cost a lot more than they say they do, the state or local government will need to consider tax increases. The reality is that this could actually bankrupt our public school system, and it's, it's very alarming. 
It's it very alarming. Yeah. And, and, you know, in places where they have really tried to privatize the school system, which I think they did in Jefferson County, they did. Florida, it was a total failure. It was awful. A total failure. And then they went back to being a public school system. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I mean, still with greater needs than are being fulfilled, but, but it was a complete and total failure. So, um, you know, this could truly bankrupt our system, our, our system of public education in Florida, and maybe cause us to have a state income tax, which, you know, is extraordinary that, that Republicans who are so anti-tax would put us in this position. They're not anti-tax. They're anti-calling things tax. Yeah. We get taxed all the time. Oftentimes they're referred to as fees. Fees, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but this could cause a situation where in order to be constitutionally uh, consistent with the requirement that we provide free, high-quality public education, we might have to institute a state tax. You yeah, know? I, you know, I'm concerned about that, too. You know, we're blessed to live in a state that has no um, no state income tax, but when we have fiscally irresponsible policies like this, um, you know, you do worry that it could take us down that roll, road and... You know, whether it's at the local level or state level, this could wind up in more taxes. I mean, the other thing to note is that this bill effectively is limiting resources that are going to our public schools. If they can find $200 million for this, why can't they find another $200 million to give veteran teachers a raise? Right. Right. They're always focusing on new teachers, and that's great. But it creates wage compression and it causes veteran teachers to leave the profession. So, and we have like something like nine thousand open teacher positions around the state. I think yeah. that was the last figure I saw: nine thousand uh, empty classrooms without qualified teachers. And keep in mind that public schools are the number one school of choice. That's where most of Florida students go. It's an overwhelming number, like 90%, I think, 85 to 90% of Florida's kids are in in traditional neighborhood public schools. So that's where we need to be placing the emphasis for funding. Yeah. And this idea of removing income caps for vouchers is crazy too. I mean, it's not like your voucher is going to get you into Tampa Prep or Berkeley or Jesuit, you know, some mm-hmm. of these high quality private schools that we have in this in this area. And then again, a lot, public schools provide a lot of additional services that you would then have to pick up out of pocket. So, for example, if your kid needed speech therapy, mm-hmm. you'd now be paying a private speech therapist, for one example. If they needed, you know, special tutoring or, or some other kind of services, uh, you'd be paying for that now out of your pocket. Right. That's right. And so the concern there is if there's a family that's wealthy enough to send their kid to Berkeley, for example, and to pay for that, this basically is just giving them a discount. Yeah. For the family who is economically challenged but wants to send their kid to Berkeley, who's going to make up the The rest of that cost beyond the 8,000? And so you kind of wonder if this could lead to further segregation in our schools in terms of just letting the haves be able to to be there and it leaves the have-nots behind. Of course, and those private schools don't have to take your kid. They don't. If if your kid has a history of being a a challenging kid with ADHD or autism or something else, those schools, they do not have to take your kid. You know, public schools take everybody and they make resources available for when your kid needs extra help. 
that's not available in a private school setting. No, it's not. So um, this is a real dangerous one, don't you think? It is. And, mm-hmm. and, and we are kind of hamstrung in what we can do about it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we are <laughs> at this point. But it won't be this way always. Again, yeah, deep I breath. Need therapy again. Deep breath. We got another election right around the corner. Elections have consequences. Yes. And we're paying for the consequences of the 2022 election cycle. Right. That's okay. 2024 is right around the corner. We can change this overnight. People need to get out and vote. Yeah. All right. You're listening to WMNF 88.5 with Florida House Minority Leader Fentress Driscoll. And I want to turn our attention now to HB 999, which is, um, you know, a huge, a huge issue. And uh, that is the omnibus education reform bill that uh, the Florida legislature has before it now. I want to um, ask you uh, to tell us what's in the bill. And then I, I'd like to bring Brian Connolly, Vice President of the USF Faculty Senate, into the conversation, too, to hear you know, how it's being um, seen on the ground in our higher educational institutions. So can we talk about that? Yeah. Do you want me to tell you a little bit about what the bill does? Yeah, And please. then we hear some reaction. So... Um, House Bill 999, so the Board of Governors will now align the mission of each school. They will not allow for any minors or majors in critical race theory, gender studies, intersectionality, or anything else that derives from those concepts. Um, They focus a lot on education for citizenship in the Constitutional Republic. I still don't know what that means. Each university can initiate a post-tenure review of any faculty member at any time with cause, The Board of Trustees can also do this. Um, It consolidates the hiring of faculty within the hands of the board. The board does not have to take into account the opinion of faculty or other groups or other individuals. Um, It's very problematic because let's say that there is a professor that the board wants to hire that the students consider problematic and the students protest. Board does not have to take into account their, their consideration. There will be no diversity, equity, or inclusion considerations in hiring. There will be no programs on campus that promote diversity, equity, or inclusion. And for the Institute of Politics, which for for, for such a long time, I feel like has been kind of like a, a crown jewel in civics education in Florida, they are wanting to change the name. They also um, remove the portion in the law about the Institute of Politics being a bipartisan institution, mm-hmm. which to me just really exposes what this is all about which is trying to move our universities to the to the right ideologically it's not about academic freedom it's not about accommodation it's not about belonging right it's not about belonging and making room for everybody it's taking this in the the, the direction of the extreme right and they are using our public universities to do it so uh, both of you Ventress Driscoll and uh, Brian Connolly, is this the complete death of academic freedom in Florida? Is this, Bill, is this the end of academic freedom in Florida? I mean, that's kind of how I see it. What more could they possibly do to turn our institutions of higher learning into basically propaganda shops? Yeah, don't tempt them. Indoctrination shops. Don't tempt them with a good time, Shelley. They could always <laughs> find something else, but I don't this know. is... This it's, is... It pretty much covers the waterfront. It It... It really shakes higher education at its core, 
At this point, we're not talking K through 12. We're talking young adults, like actual adults who want to make decisions about what they want to learn. And the state legislature, Ron DeSantis, is basically looking over your kid's shoulder as they fill out their their forms about what classes they want to take and what they want to major in. This is wrong. Um, And I I feel for our professors, and I want to hear about more about what's happening on the ground, because these are folks who have dedicated their lives to the academy and to learning into being wanting to pass that on to, to future generations. And now you've got Ron DeSantis looking over their shoulder as well. So, Brian, tell us, how's it, how, how is this being received at USF? Uh, not well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways of thinking about this is that on the one hand, for all of the rhetoric about stopping indoctrination, this is a law that is pure indoctrination, mm-hmm. right? It is transforming. It is the end of academic freedom. We don't, I mean, it's, it's one of a series of laws over the last several years that have that have impacted <laughs> academic freedom. But some of the simple things of faculty control over curriculum, right, that that's going away here. And, you know, one of the things I think listeners should keep in mind, too, is that one of the great things about Florida is that it has one of the greatest public education systems in the United States in higher education. And it also has the lowest tuition in the United States, mm-hmm. right? So what you're getting is a high quality education for a low, a relatively low price, right? Um, and one of the things that this is going to do potentially if it passes is it's going to lead to loss of accreditation in a variety of ways, right? There's national creditors and there's some simple things that you need to do. Faculty control curriculum. Most accreditors require some sort of DEI reporting, right? If you lose accreditation, and our governor can say he has special accreditors who will do these things, but that's not going to matter nationally. So what that means is you could come to a USF or a UF or an FSU or FAU or wherever and take the same classes, but your degree will no longer mean the same thing it meant mm-hmm. at the end, right? So... Um, the the you know the other thing and i think it was a great point the representative brought up right is that this is opposed to any sense of inclusion and belonging for the the people of the state and the people of the united states right so that when you have something i mean that reference to constitutional republic that's a that's a sort of buzzword right so you mm. get this language we're not a democracy we're a republic right which is a real misreading of america i'm american historian it's a real me- misreading but what it's trying to suggest is that their reading of republic the conservative republicans is to say it supports minoritarian rep- rule right and that a democracy, and they can go back and find John Adams or somebody saying a democracy is a problem, but they're not talking about representative democracy. And we could have other debates about direct democracy. They're talking about direct democracy, right? Which was for Ad, for John Adams or, or Madison or whoever was a way of saying the, the nation's too large to have every single person show up and do something in person, right? So we need a representative system. Um, so really, this is this is the end of, I mean, if this law passes, it's the end of the public higher education. Well, let's talk about some practical consequences of this. You started to talk about the loss of accreditation and what that is going to mean. I anticipate that it's also going to mean that, uh, you know, quality uh, educators are not going to want to come to Florida and teach in our universities. And I anticipate it's also going to mean that parents who care about quality education, college education for their kids, are not going to want to send their kids to Florida educational institutions, you know, to public colleges and universities in Florida. Um, It's also going to mean that when you lose those quality people, you don't get research grants um, for the institution. So it's going to have an economic, you know, lots of economic mm-hmm. consequences, I imagine. Um, 
you know, which I think that is really short-sighted uh, right now. You, you know, they're going to, it's going to be cost uh, negative for the state. Um, so, Brian, one other thing I wanted to ask you is what, if anything, is the faculty doing to make their, you know, position known about this bill? I mean, is, are we going to, I mean, we have student walkouts at New College, for example. Are we going to have faculty walkouts? Um, are we going to have, you know, what are we going to, how are we going to address this from the faculty perspective? Yeah, I can say this is the thing we've been most obsessed with over the last several weeks, for sure, and also the last couple of years. Um, so the Senate's been at USF, I can speak to, has been meeting with as many faculty as we can, having town halls to get a sense of, for us particularly, these real practical consequences, right? I can make all the arguments for myself about gender studies, which I would defend, and but and, and, I, and I still, and I continue to do so, but also what are the practical consequences in terms of accreditation, in terms of loss of funding and all of these things? So we're starting to put out statements we're, and across the state we people have been doing that um, and we're thinking about the other legitimate ways the the uh, UFF the faculty union is starting to organize or you know continuing to organize so I foresee things happening and put, putting pressure on our administrative leaders right um, I understand that they walk a, a delicate line with having to deal with the legislature and deal with the governor <laughs> But also, you know, I would personally like to see some more public statements on, yeah. on that end. Or they could be yanked out like at New College well, and yes. replaced with a crony like Richard Corcoran and have their salaries doubled. I mean, they could just be yanked out by, um, you know, the political yeah. appointees on the Florida, what is it, the Board of Governors mm -hmm. um, that run the university system now. Um, so, I don't know, Fentress, is there anything we can do about this? I think that we do have to speak up as people who care. I, I mean, I, I feel like part of the way that this governor has accumulated and consolidated so much power in his hands because there are folks around him who do not speak up and who do not push back. And it, when he when he did that takeover of Disney, Reedy Creek, and said he was going to do that, a lot in the business community stayed quiet, and that probably was the time to speak up. And I'm concerned that, that the same thing is happening with our, our institutions of higher learning. And I, I get it, to your point, Right, the, the schools have to think about funding. They always have to think about um, the students and making sure that the the, the um, resources are there. Um, but for our young people, we need to we need to speak up. Yeah. All right, Brian. So we're going to be looking at you and the faculty senate and and our you know the people who work in these universities to really, like Fenter said, speak up. Um, I want to thank my guests. Our Florida representative and minority leader, Fentress Driscoll, for being with us. I know she has a very busy schedule, and I'm grateful for you coming to WMNF. And Brian Connolly, the vice president of the USF Faculty Senate, for being with us. I want to thank my WMNF volunteers, Jessica Green and Barbara Fling. And remember, our shows are archived for you, so you can listen on demand at WMNF.org slash midpoint, or as a WMNF midpoint podcast, the usually the day after the show airs, wherever you get your podcast. Um, so if you joined us late, you can go back and listen on demand. I want to apologize to my listeners for not taking so many calls or, or reading so many texts and emails today, but I was um, very concerned that we have our opportunity with um, Leader Driscoll to really listen to what she had to say about some of these things that are pending in the legislature, and we only have an hour. That's all they give us. So, <laughs> so uh, hopefully next week, you know, we'll open up the 
phone lines more and uh, be more responsive uh, to you and your your comments. Um, if you joined us late, again, as I said, you can go back and listen on demand. And you can show your support for Midpoint and WMNF by dropping a donation in our tip jar. We'd be very grateful for that. Or you can call 813-238-8001, grab yourself some swag. Now, please stay tuned for NPR News and Duncan Strauss with Talking Animals. This is WMNF Tampa.